0: The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to The Fabulous
1: 413. I'm Kelly Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Are you busy wrapping holiday gifts? Maybe you should ho-ho-hold it. Boo. Is what you're wrapping and packaging with headed for a landfill for the remainder of human history? As old as Santa Claus, perhaps? We'll learn about the do's and don'ts of holiday recycling with folks from the Springfield Materials Recycling Facility Advisory Board. The Smurf? Yes, but I guess green ones, not blue ones.
2: (laughs) Also, I I don't know if we should be implying that Santa Claus is as old as (laughs) time. He's a new... He's a johnny completely. And later, remember the public-private partnership Governor Healy initiated after the horrible floods of this past July? Phil Corman from CISA, one of the organizing bodies who administered the Massachusetts Farm Resiliency Fund, gives us an update and the final tally from what was raised. But first... To boldly
1: go where no man has gone before. Back at the kitchen table of Hampshire College Astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe, back from your home country of Pakistan. How was your trip?
3: Our trip was great. It was a short trip. It was for a few days, basically, including travel and everything. I mean, I was back within a week. And I love it. The first time I went to India was only for
1: like a month. And I had jet lag for the majority of time I was in India. And then for like a month after I got back.
3: Oh, I thought that you was going to say like, you know, that it's been years, but you still have jet lag. I still have it now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But we're back to talking about astronomy. And tonight is something that we wish we might be able to see. But given how cloudy and rainy it's been, we probably wouldn't have been able to see it anyway. And also given where we are on the globe, we are not going to be able to see it. But there is the eclipse of... Broadway and Hollywood (laughs) sensation, Beetlejuice. The
3: finer points can wait, but first you gotta say my name. The Broadway one never gets eclipsed. Let's put it this (laughs) way. Uh, Yeah, no, there is an eclipse of, there's an asteroid passing in front of a star. So normally uh, you have a solar eclipse, a lunar eclipse, uh, but Beetlejuice is big enough, actually. And uh, I mean, not like big as the sun, but as a star, this is one of those really, Unusual instances where a tiny asteroid is actually going to be passing in front of it. The asteroid is in our solar system. Betelgeuse is farther away, and these kind of eclipses give fascinating information about the star that is being eclipsed.
1: Because you can see the same thing we talked about before: the spectroscopy, the different colors that show up when it dims in the light. Or what do we learn? What could we learn about the eclipse of Betelgeuse tonight?
3: Well, he, because there is an eclipse, so you can see sort of like the real edge details. So for example, Betelgeuse is one of those stars that can be resolved, meaning to say you can actually see the disk a little bit from telescopes, uh, which for most stars you cannot. In fact, almost all of the stars you cannot and there are only few stars. Betelgeuse is one of them, so it can actually provide information about uh, the star itself in terms of what is happening on the edges of the star itself.
1: No star will eclipse Michael Keaton in my mind. Well, well, you know, hey, you probably got your reasons, uh, but the thing is I can't do anything from over here. If you could, Get me out. Great, he's gonna be in Beetlejuice too, which I think is a horrible decision, but maybe it'll be great. Uh, speaking of stars and speaking of supernovas, which Beetlejuice is, clock's ticking. Sometime in the next like what is it, ten thousand years, we expect Beetlejuice
3: is gonna go supernova. Um, probably like yeah, or a hundred thousand years, but but yeah, I mean that is a star that is going to go supernova. That is a star that is only about a six six hundred light years away. It's going to be a spectacular show. When it goes, it's going to be, the estimates are, it might be as bright as the full moon. And so it will be really cool. When it's going to happen, we don't know. And I know everybody says, well, what if it has already gone off? Sure. When we think in terms of light, it's it's getting us today, right? So whenever it may have already happened, sure. But the point is, is it going, it's light going to get us? while we are alive Mm -hmm. I hope so and uh, with climate change actually I don't know how long but oh oh, no sorry I didn't (laughs) want to bring it down but yes the likelihood is like you know within the next tomorrow or 10,000 years anytime in between and speaking of supernovas supernovas that was hard for a Boston
1: accent person to say and climate change we thought we were the ones who were going to destroy our atmosphere but turns out the universe hates us too well, for Boston accents, actually, they make it easy, and it's supernovae. Okay, cool. More than <laughs> a <while. Right. laughs> uh, so- Supernova is the show that comes out of WGBH Boston. <laughs>
3: which is our parent company, so that that is a super show. Nice plug, Monty. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is a story, I think we talked about it. There was a bright gamma-ray burst. So gamma-ray bursts are... As the name suggests, these are very short bursts that are observable in gamma rays. These are some of the most energetic phenomena in the universe. And some of them occur when two neutron stars, these are dense cores of large stars, when they collide. Uh, Sometimes they also happen when a large star collapses into first into a supernova, and then it collapses into a black hole. And before the material turns into or goes into a black hole the material just spins out and sort of like you know and is sent out in two jets and if the jet happens to be pointing towards us we actually detect very bright gamma rays and those are called gamma-ray bursts and so last year and that was in fact exactly october 9th 2022 there was a really bright gamma-ray burst that was detected and in fact it was dubbed the boat the brightest of all time. <laughs> Best in the business when it comes to a quarterback sneak. Let's <laughs> go! No. Uh, and again, just to give you an idea, what what is amazing about this is that that was from a supernova. 1.9 billion, with a B, light years away. And that is the
1: brightest thing we have observed that's not like our sun or a star close by. In the gamma rays. In gamma, ray. in gamma and when rays. When we say observed, gamma rays are invisible. So we're not really observing them right. and it's not really bright
3: but we'll we'll take it <laughs> well in gamma-ray telescopes and it yeah. was so bright that it almost blinded overwhelmed many of the gamma-ray detectors whoa so that's what happened uh, last year and this is a very unusual thing normally gamma-ray bursts are detected and they're fine like you know but this was really bright and again it was from 1.9 billion light years away a star that was much bigger than our sun collapsed into a black hole, but as it was happening, as it was going through supernova, as the black hole was in the process of formation, these two jets got created, and the jet just happens to be one of the jets pointing exactly towards us. Nobody on the jets is the greatest of all time. (laughs) I'm just going to say that.
2: We'll (laughs) have some fun. We'll beat up on these boys, huh?
3: Let's do it. But that happened last year, and uh, there's a new paper that has come out that looked at, well, what was the impact of these gamma-ray bursts on our atmosphere. And this is really interesting because there are these uh, astronomers that looked at some of the data from China's seismo-electromagnetic satellite. And that is to detect changes in our atmosphere due to earthquakes. And just as a context, I should mention, just think about it, now we actually start, oftentimes we talk about results coming from Chinese satellites, Chinese telescopes, and things like that. So this is, again, one of those instances. And what they detected was that the ozone layer This is the layer in our own atmosphere, which actually protects us from the ultraviolet light. Uh, It's really crucial that some of it actually got disturbed by this gamma ray burst. And so this happened 1.9 billion light years away, but it impacted the ozone layer here on Earth.
1: So it's not just my hair care products that I used to use in the 1980s when I had hair that's going to destroy the ozone layer. It's distant collapsing stars turning into black holes. 1.9 1.9 billion
3: years ago with its gamma rays finally reaching our ozone layer here today and the, or last year. And the concern is the same, right? I mean, the reason why those chlorofluorocarbons, those all those hairspray <laughs> stuff, like, you know, that was in there. The reason that it was the concern was because if you don't have ozone, then you are getting ultraviolet light uh, from the sun. And here, what happened? I mean, it's not like, oh, my goodness, this year there has been far more UV light. What happened was for a few seconds, or a few minutes, in fact, like, you know, that these electrons were stripped out of ozone. Ozone is three oxygen atoms uh, t- t- combined together. So for a little bit, these electrons got stripped out. and That's what was measured by this satellite as electricity in some sense. Ele- I mean, they detected that and then they reformed again. So it was a temporary destruction of ozone. No harm. Nothing was a problem it's not like suddenly you got uv radiated no that's not what it happened but the point of studying this for them was that if a similar type of gamma ray burst for example happened uh, in our own galaxy or relatively nearby then you can imagine ozone layer being disassembled sort of like you know destroyed <laughs> for even if it gets back together but say for example for a few years well that would be extremely damaging and in fact there have been some simulations uh, people have done about that and they think that perhaps once every billion years or so something like that happens and may have been responsible for some of the mass extinctions we don't know but that gets into a lot of speculation and it's unlikely that there's going to be a such a gamma ray burst again within our lifetimes and certainly within the next few ten thousand or even sort of like nearby galaxies but the point is, it can impact our ozone layer.
1: So let's say Betelgeuse, which will be eclipsed tonight by an asteroid, is going to go supernova sometime between now and 100,000 years from now. If after it goes supernova, it goes black hole, it could release a gamma ray burst that might destroy our ozone layer, forcing us underground for an indeterminate amount of time and turn us into mole people?
3: <laughs> uh, no. Okay. A couple of reasons. <laughs> so even though... Big stars go supernovae, but not all of them uh, result in a black hole. Ah. And Betelgeuse is not big enough to turn into a black hole. Rather, it's expected that it will turn into neutron star, which I actually mentioned before, but Mm -hmm. a neutron star, which is a little bit bigger than a black hole. I mean, neutron stars is like the, as they say, size of the New York City. And Mm -hmm. so that's the core that's left. Very strange object, no question about it. And supernova also is going to be amazing, but it's not going to turn into a black hole. And then for these kind of gamma rippers, it's also the beam. You have to be in its way, which is the likelihood of you being in that. It's like very, very, very low. So, A, Betelgeuse is not going to produce gamma reverse in the same way as Boat did. The Brady of all time. <laughs> oh, let's, go! let's go! Oh, no, no, right. And it's far enough. So people have looked at what will happen. I mean, is it dangerous when, uh, or is it going to be dangerous when Betelgeuse goes supernova? And it's far enough away, about 640 light years away, that it would be perfect for a spectacular show in the night sky, but far enough that it's not going to impact life on Earth. Uh, And in fact, uh, scientists think that even if there's a supernova closer by, even like 30, 40 light years away, you would be okay. But we don't know. Uh, And I would say, or I hate to say that, like there's only one way to find out. (laughs) (laughs) But towards the end, if I could just make a connection. It's interesting that ozone itself, along with oxygen, I mean, I mean, oxygen, a lot of the molecular oxygen was produced by life, by blue-green algae mm-hmm. earlier on. And it was the interaction with ultraviolet light and molecular oxygen that created ozone, three oxygen atoms together. That's what it did. And that layer was formed around 600 million years ago. Before that, all life was pretty much under the oceans because that's what provided protection from ultraviolet light. And this ozone is the one that actually allowed in some ways species to come out, both first plants and then also crawling animals uh, from the ocean uh, and evolution took place. But before that, without the ozone, it was all just under the ocean and microbial life.
1: So we got to protect that thing. No more hairsprays with chlorofluorocarbons and stay away from us massive gamma ray bursts from millions and billions of light years away
3: and hairspray another musical that's right <laughs> the only thing better than <laughs> hairspray
1: that's me right next,
3: with beetlejuice when
1: beetlejuice goes a supernova it's showtime
3: exactly and the <laughs> musical did, shows we well, we well did, this was the, number. the you mean, this was the musical for the mister universe
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Coming up, find out what the proper things from the season are to recycle and keep you out of Krampus's clutches. We'll talk to Arlene Miller and Amy Donovan from the Springfield Materials Recycling Facility Advisory Board.
1: But first, Governor Healy's Massachusetts Farm Resiliency Fund just handed out its last round of checks to farmers impacted by the July floods. And we'll get a final update from the fund from Phil Corman from CESA.
2: You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 and 8
0: You hear an echo. Is my sound okay?
1: Yep. Let's see. Whose mic shouldn't be on? Or do you? Have your, are your speakers on, Khalees? Oh, there we go. I keep forgetting. There's always one extra thing you got to do.
0: Uh. I thought getting out of bed was the one extra thing we had to do.
1: <laughs> it, was, it was so dark this morning. It was really hard for me to get out of bed. I was like, oh my god.
0: This is feeling like a long
1: December. Ten more days until the light (laughs) returns. And there's reason
2: to believe maybe Maybe this year will be better than than the last.
1: I loved Con and Crows in those early days.
2: But that, okay, I stand by the fact that second album of theirs is a pretty perfect album. Recovering the Satellites is a
1: really, really good album album. I even think the third album this desert life is great too.
2: It's okay, but it's not recovering the satellites good. Recovering the satellites was like came out of left field. Nobody was expecting anything from them and it just kind of blew us all away with how good it was. One of the
1: most rock and roll moments of my entire life was going to the paradise and drinking with Adam Duritz and also at the time Ryan Adams which was cool. <laughs> no well, longer
4: like, cool.
2: <laughs> um Adam Duritz also like when, when you look at it Adam Duritz is kind of the Michael McDonald of like the 90 late 90s early aughts, he shows up in all of these places he really shouldn't be doing backup for reasons no one understands, and later on you realize, oh, wait, no, that's Adam Duritz on that, like, 6th Avenue Heartache, that's Adam Duritz. on Ryan Adams
1: Gold, that's that's why he was there at that show.
2: Like, all of these, like, 90s people in that vein using him on on background vocals, and it's like, why were you so popular? Right. (laughs) Your voice is so distinctive, how does this even work? I'm
1: glad he lost the dreads.
0: Anyway... I, you know, I think you guys do this back and forth pretty well. You should think about doing a podcast or something.
1: What about a radio show, Phil? I'm still old school. All right, all right. All right. Try
0: the radio show. I can you're, be with. Yeah, the time. but if you do it, it's probably you'll probably so old school. You'll focus on an area code. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nuance and little bits are our thing.
1: <laughs> Welcome to the Fabulous Four One Three. I'm Monty
2: Belmont, and I'm Kelly Smith,
1: and we're speaking with Phil Corman from Cesa, local hero, folks. Uh, we're not talking to a farmer as we so often do with Phil. Korman. Norman. we are talking about relief that has been given to farmers through CESA, through the Community Foundation of Western Mass, and through the United Way of Central Mass. Perhaps you remember back after the floods of July, that Massachusetts governor Maura Healy, in conjunction with these organizations, created what she was calling the farm resiliency. And resiliency is a word that my phone likes to tell me doesn't exist. It always says it's, in, it's not a real word. Uh, the Farm Resiliency Fund. And
2: th- That's terrifying actually I to think about for a moment. Your it, phone doesn't think resilience is real. It thinks resiliency, resiliency is not is-
1: real. Resilient, yes. Resilience, yes, but not resiliency. But we'll see how much resiliency this. This farm resiliency fund has distributed. With Phil Corman, give us an update on what's been going on with this fund that we did a fundraiser for back in the fall that we've been talking about um, multiple times on this show. Where are we at with that, Phil?
0: The fund has just distributed the second round and final round of funding. An amazing total of three point three million dollars was raised statewide from individuals and businesses, communities throughout the Commonwealth, and almost. 230 farms received monies from this fund.
1: Tell us about how the farms were became recipients. Did they have to sign up? What was the process?
0: So the process was very simple. And that was purposeful because the first round was to get $10,000 out to every single farm that was eligible who applied. And the only farms that didn't get 10,000 were farms who didn't suffer any damages or they had less than ten thousand dollars of damage, mm. so the the application process was very simple. It was a one pager, filling in information. The application was sent directly to the United Way of Central Massachusetts, who did an amazing job and took no resources from the fund to do this work. Mm-hmm. And we turned that first round round around round around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very quickly. Um, the second round, we did try to think a little bit more about greater need. So if you got $10,000 in the first round, you could not apply in the second round unless you had damages of $80,000 or more. And then we sort of step laddered it up depending on what your need was. So mm-hmm. those with the greatest, greatest need might have received 35000 in the second round ten thousand in the first for a total of forty five thousand dollars
1: so that's the max that any one farm would have received from this fund Mm -hmm.
0: correct Mm -hmm. correct and uh we're waiting to hear which will be happening very soon the government response because we always understood even though governor healy put the call out and us three organizations responded we always understood there was going to be a state government response with more resources as it should be the private sector cannot replace tax dollars and na- in natural and national emergencies like we're experiencing around climate Say change. Say it
2: louder for the people in the back.
0: Yeah.
1: The private sector! <laughs> 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 we're speaking with Phil Corman from CISA, the local hero, folks. but getting an update on the Farm Resiliency Fund, which has distributed $3.3 million to 228 farms. What was remarkable about this fund is that the governor herself, instituted this right away with these nonprofit organizations, knowing that the the ship of state was going to take so long to offer this relief. Is that something that you have seen happen before in, in your time? Because there have been you know natural disasters, Hurricane Irene, so many different farm-related disasters over the course of, of your tenure at CISA.
0: Well, I think what was kind of beautiful about this is everyone under, had the same opinion, which was the lion's share of support has to come from government but the private sector and the community can respond more quickly and get something to farmers. And so that was just a kind of a a nice stand step that happened. I do want to say that the United Way of Central Mass, the Community Foundation of Western Mass, and CESA have never worked together as a trio. And while I had met uh, the head of the United Way of Central Mass, Tim Garwin. I, I had seen him at Monty's March on the first day. I never knew who he was. I thought he was an amazing leprechaun in action. Uh, he is. So that was just kind of beautiful. And egos were totally left out to, outside of the room. And we all spent a lot of time through the summer, through our vacations, making sure to be there for the folks who were there for us every day, the farmers who grow food and put it on our tables.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the behind-the-scenes stuff that went on between those three organizations? Because I know, you know, because I know Tim Garvin, because I'm very familiar with the Community Foundation, that there were they were weekly conversations.
2: Yeah, they talked to us about your Zoom meetings yeah. and how cute they were.
0: <laughs> yeah, so our meetings consisted of, um, you know, a Zoom meeting once a week, no matter where we were. The other representatives were the commissioner of Mass Department of Ag Resources and the governor's office representative in Western Mass. So it was the three nonprofits and the two government folks. And we just had very candid conversations. We had businesses we knew we had to contact or we thought we'd have an interest in stepping up. We had different events going on in different parts of the state and it all kind of came together beautifully it really did
1: we're speaking with phil Corman from cisa who's one of the three organizations that were administering this governor healy instituted farm resiliency fund that has distributed 3.3 million dollars to 228 farms in response to the floods that happened uh back in july
2: do you know how many of the farms of the 228 farms that got funds
0: from this fund were in western massachusetts were in the 413 the overwhelming majority of the farms that received funding were in the 4013, and in part, that's because uh, this was solely focused on the rains and floods and not the February and May freezing temperatures that caused damage to peaches and other fruit trees. And for that reason, we have a lot of floodplains here in, in the Connecticut River Valley. There are some clearly flooding and rains over time that impacted Central Mass, And uh, those farms also receive support. But again, overwhelming majority were out here in the Connecticut River Valley and West.
2: So is the fund done now, like with with distribution, raising funds, trying to get money in the hands of farmers? Is it basically kind of at its end point? Or is there more that the fund is seeking to do?
0: I think I would say, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, that we're putting it into cold storage Mm -hmm. and that if, You know, we know that there is no normal or new normal There's just unknown when it comes to climate crisis and change. And so I would like to think that if something bad happens in 2024, these three organizations could step up and maybe others would join. And we sort of have the blueprint for how to move forward.
2: So setting it up as kind of like a disaster savings
0: account. Yeah, and and on the other hand, I think maybe even on the four one three, maybe you have or have not yet talked about a bill that's been filed by Senator Cumberford and State Representative Blay about a disaster relief fund, not solely for farmers, but we don't have one in Massachusetts. And most states do have money set aside for natural disasters that affect municipalities and roads and farms, et cetera. You know, that that may be a way to not have to have a supplemental budget of twenty million dollars get introduced every time as we had to do this year, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which went with blazing speed for government, by the way.
1: Natalie Blazing Speed. (laughs) Representative Natalie Blay represents the uh, 1st Franklin District in Yeah, okay, we'll let you get
2: away with that one.
1: Uh, Phil, what you do, a lot of your job with CISA is is interacting with farms, and we have now heard how many farms uh, received money from this, 228 farms across the Commonwealth. What has been some of the feedback that you have heard from the farmers who received some of these relief funds through this Farm Resiliency Fund?
0: First of all, what was so appreciated was the speed at which the money came. Not that it was going to take care of their needs, because even this $3.3 million and the $20 million that Mass Department of Ag Resources is distributing this week, that will not probably cover half of the losses farms have experienced through all the disasters of 2023. Mm. But I think what they walked away with, farmers, was A, they were being seen that their needs were being responded to, the community respected and cared so much for the work that they do.
2: Do you think that there are further things that this partnership between your organization, CISA, and United Way of Central Mass and the Community Fund, are there more things like this that you would like to enact over the coming years, maybe not necessarily for disaster relief, but in other ways to help agriculture in our area?
0: that's a great question i think we're just winding this down we haven't had even the chance to get together you know break bread and celebrate what we did (laughs) Um, but i think what's so great is the community you know foundation by the way was a supporter of this fund which is amazing so they have skin in the game i think they think now in a much deeper way than in the past that uh, farms are such a unique part of our landscape and is therefore a unique part of what the community foundation's territory includes and how many community foundations in this country include agriculture and what they care about. I think maybe a handful, if that much. In terms of the United Way of Central Mass, I think Tim shows up everywhere for everything. God bless him.
1: God bless him, indeed.
0: So I think, uh, you know, relationships are so important in an emergency, and they will always be there.
1: Phil Corman from CISA, one of the three organizations who were administering the Governor Healy administration instigated Farm Resiliency Fund that's distributed $3.3 million to the 228 farms throughout the Commonwealth in wake of the floods of the summer and the other disasters that our farmers have experienced. Thanks for doing this, Phil. It was really a, a wonderful way to show the kind of community that Western Massachusetts is and that our agricultural community, which is such an important part of it, is as well.
0: Just love living in the 413. <laughs>
1: Thank you for the shameless plug every time you use that. We <laughs>
2: don't... Earlier today The healy Driscoll administration announced $20 million to farms impacted by severe weather events this year. The Natural Disaster Recovery NDR Program for Agriculture provides immediate assistance to 347 farmers in western and central Massachusetts who experienced significant crop losses due to a deep February freeze, a late May frost event, and catastrophic flooding in July.
1: And tomorrow on the show, we'll learn more about a remarkable amount of money from the state with the commissioner of the Massachusetts Department of Agricultural Resources. Deerfield's own Ashley Randall.
2: And up next, recycling your holiday cheer and more with the folks from the Springfield Materials Recycling Facility Advisory Board. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 885 NEPM.
4: Pretty paper,
3: pretty ribbons,
1: blue. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. Willie Nelson there is singing about pretty paper and pretty ribbons of blue. But can you put your pretty paper and pretty ribbons of blue in those blue recycle bins? And how does that translate to recycling year-round? Joining
2: us is Arlene Miller, chair of the Springfield Materials Recycling facilities advisory board former mass dep municipal assistance coordinator for western mass for 20
1: plus years as well as amy donovan from the springfield murph advisory board member for 12 plus years the program director at franklin county solid waste management district and one of the board's experts on acceptable materials and where material is sent after the murph has had its way with it i have known amy for a long time uh, and has you have advised me over the years in my own personal and private and professional life about things that can and can't be recycled. And you're also kind of the queen of composting of all of Franklin <laughs> County. Well,
2: we got to talk after this. Yeah, I have some things that I like. Much like uh, our engineer's questions about recycling, I have some things about composting that I just need to make clear to my partner who doesn't understand. The yeah, oh, I pool. can help with that. Thank later you.
1: in later in this half hour, we're going to settle some marital disputes from our engineer <laughs> Betsy Langdon with uh, her husband and what can and can't be recycled and how. But uh, Arlene Miller, who is the chair of the Springfield Murph, which, why don't you call it the Smurf? Some people do. (laughs) Yeah. It's It's just kind of weird. Everybody calls it the, the, the Murph. But it's the Springfield Murph, so it's the Smurf. It's right there. It's it is a
5: Smurf, but there are – Murph sort of uh, explains what it does. Uh, materials <laughs> recycling Facility. the S kind of distracts, is why we don't use it. Okay. But, but you can call it whatever you like. Yeah. That's not a marital dispute.
1: No. <laughs> not, not yet. Not
5: yet um, no.
1: Tell us what the Murph is, Arlene.
5: Okay, the Murph is – well, first of all, uh, it's a – we, it's all, where all our stuff, recycling stuff from Western Mass goes. All, all, four all four counties. All four counties, 66 communities, dual stream communities, not not the single stream communities. But um, going back, it is a, it is an experiment is, is what it was. It was started about 30 years ago uh, when the state said wanted to start promoting recycling. And they said if, if we built it, they'll come uh-huh. kind of thing. So the state owns the building. It's a private partner, uh, a public Private relationship between the state and the municipalities. So on our contract, it's DEP, it's the municipality, and it's
4: the private operator. The private waste operator, management. waste management,
5: waste management. So it's it's a it's a that coordination. So 66 now communities have signed contracts with that facility. So that allows them to bring their recycling to that facility. Things are sorted there, separated, and sent out to the market. The money comes back in. We have a contract so where we share, we, we pay, we share to get that material recycled. So the MRF Advisory Board represents those 66 communities and interplays, inter, 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 inter uh, talks with DEP and the operator on any issues that come up. We also monitor the materials that come in, the materials that go out. And we spend a lot of time, most of our time, on public education to try to get people... To know what to do, so there are not not too many marital disputes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Arlene, are there representatives from each of those sixty six municipalities that are also involved, or do you, uh, as advisory board members, represent a bulk of them, or do you represent certain members of the community? I know, Amy, you're very much involved in Franklin County. How does how does it work? Yeah,
5: three. There are three representatives from each county, uh, each of the four counties. Okay, and so they and they each of them, each of us represent, sort of own. Five or six of the communities represent directly th- those communities. Uh-huh. We don't. We have, we have to either live or work in the community we represent.
1: So who do you represent then, Arlene?
5: Long Meadow, <laughs> <laughs> Long Meadow, um, East Long Meadow, uh, Wilbraham, East uh, Hamden, uh, Beckett. So not not Beckett, um Chester. No no no. that far, far. Otis, Blandford. Was nice. Like Ham, mm. Yeah, Hamden. I said. Yeah. Mm. I don't. I don't. I think I might have missed one. So, <laughs> but those are the ones that I, I represent. That that core
4: of uh, around around the city.
1: And Amy, do you represent all of Franklin County, or
4: I represent uh, nineteen or twenty one towns in Franklin County, depending on how you count it. Right. But most of Franklin County. Okay.
1: And you don't even have to run for office, and you represent them. So all yeah, of the elected go. officials <laughs> are here are probably very jealous. Shh.
4: <laughs> Don't encourage <that. laughs>
1: We're speaking with Arlene Miller, the chair of the Springfield Murph Advisory Board, and Amy Donovan, a Springfield Vi- Advisory Board Murph member for 12-plus years. And we're talking about recycling for the holidays. Yes. W- wrapping paper. Traditional <laughs> wrapping paper. So many people get their presents wrapped. Santa, maybe he's an environmental... Uh, degrader. His, his North Pole is melting because of all of the of the uh, <laughs> wrapping paper that comes uh, wrapped from Santa's gifts. Wrapping paper is I think one it's thing. It's more
2: the plastic
4: packaging that the toys well, are in. Yeah, let's like. get
1: to that. Wrapping paper, definite no-no, right?
4: Well, actually, there's some some details there to convey okay so regular wrapping paper gift wrap that you buy in a roll if it's just regular colors and the regular stuff yes that's recyclable except very important here if it contains glitter foil or metallic inks then it's a no
1: wait so that makes sense even if it's just colored wrapping paper that's got that fancy kind of sheen to it is recyclable it's just
4: like a magazine you know it's got that that shiny glossy surface that's okay but it's the metallic stuff so picture a beautifully wrapped present in gold or silver or a pattern that has a lot of shiny gold metallics that is not wanted because it doesn't break down in the paper pulping process it might Uh leave little flecks of metallics it doesn't It doesn't disappear into the pulp like the rest of the paper. So we we do want um, cardboard, paperboard, regular paper, all the papers we use in our daily lives, brochures, magazines, newspapers. um, But we don't want any uh, paper products with foil metallic inks or glitter. And that includes cards. So when you go shopping for your card, if it's not too late, listeners. It's never too late, Amy. uh, Look for those cards that don't have a lot of embellishments. Um, The photo cards are not recyclable. Either like photo, traditional photographs. So, local Oh, for so if like cards.
1: your friends send you pictures of their cute family in these glossy photos and you're yeah. like, ugh, I can't stand to see how wonderful their life appears to me. <laughs> Don't put it in the recycling. No, nope, put it straight in nope. the trash. Or just
4: save it forever like I do. Cut <laughs> it up into
1: tiny bits.
2: And recycle it into your own cards, mosaic it into something yeah, that you'd turn like it
4: better. Into something yeah, else. so Khalees just touched on reuse. So, yeah. there's a million things you can reuse um, newspaper, um, old maps. Magazines, calendars to wrap your gifts or reuse materials from year to year. And
2: paper, like paper making is actually really really relaxing to me so like you can get these things and remake your own paper for reuse uh, later on uh, you will still have to remember not to use the metal the things that have like the metal and the glitter in them yeah. in your recycling but you know you can make something else out of it that's just as fun and just as as cool
1: or make wrapping paper out of the funnies which I like to do a yes, lot exactly I yes.
5: do the same thing
1: and or the Montague Reporter issues yeah. <laughs> my favorite local newspaper uh, every year they, they come out with an issue that is just wrapping paper it's designed oh, yeah. to be wrapping Wrapping paper as a newspaper, so big shout out to them. And really,
5: most most stuff that people use for the holiday is—I would scope, I, I, I dare to say, 85 to 90 percent probably can be recycled.
1: We're speaking with Arlene Miller, the chair of the Springfield Murph, the Materials Recycle. What is it again?
5: Materials Real Recycling, Recycling Facility. Facility. Facility
1: and Amy Donovan, Springfield Murph member, Smurf member as well. Okay, so wrapping paper, a by and large, yes, unless it's metallic or glittery. What that's about right. the plastic? If I get Han Solo as a gift and he comes in a paper-backed thing, and then but he's wrapped in plastic and tied up like he's in carbonite with little twisty ties, what of <laughs> what I just described in my Han Solo present can be recycled and what is trash? Let's give this one to Arlene. No,
5: no. Give it to Amy. Okay, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to ask if it's, if it's, a, if it's plastic that's, uh, you know, like a bag, or if it's plastic, rigid, if it's, it's rigid ri- It's like it's kind rigidly, of rigid, yeah. but plastic. mostly
1: junk, like tiny, like, you know, yeah. slightly rigid plastic.
2: And often marked with, like, the a six or a, a three. A number. Yeah. A number. Right. Let's right. talk it's about the those
1: dreaded numbers, dreaded numbers The dreaded numbers. Yeah.
4: Well, you heard the good news that most paper is recyclable, but the bad news is that these molded, formed packages that wrap up toys or electronics or things like that are not accepted in recycling. If you have to get the scissors out to open it, you could just keep cutting it right into the trash <laughs> yes. because it's well, garbage. Right. <laughs> so right.
1: to talk about the numbers. Like let's say Han Solo's uh, plastic number on the plastic is number six. What do we do with that? What does that mean? Does it mean anything anymore? Or is it all just this big marketing scheme from – big plastic manufacturers.
4: Well, confusing. <laughs> it means something to us the numbers, right. but it's more of an identification code, it's a resin identification code. So 40 years ago when recycling started, that symbol was a great way to get people to start looking and 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 start recycling. But now 40 years later, we've evolved. And it's not a guarantee of recyclability. So what we say now is recycle by shape. So Mm. if it's a bottle, a jar, a jug, or a tub, it's made of plastic, it's recyclable. You know, empty it out, rinse it out if it needs a rinse, put the cap back on, and recycle those shapes. Um, We also recycle (laughs) clear clamshells, like from salad greens or strawberries, and Wait, so those clear clamshells
1: that the salad comes in at the supermarket are recyclable? Yes. Yeah, thank That's God. Not
4: styrofoam ones. Not styrofoam. Yeah. No, the yeah. plastic
1: ones. Like the and, little green leaf.
4: Right. Yes. And you'd think it's similar to the Han Solo toy yeah. uh, package that you described, but it's not. So um, it's not a bottle, jar, jug, tub, or clamshell. So it's a no for Han Solo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and just rule of thumb, if the numbers do mean anything, low numbers are more recyclable than high numbers? Or is it the vice versa? I always forget.
4: Well... There really are no numbers three, four, or seven. It's right. hardly a very small percentage of the total. So that makes sense. definitely ones and twos right. and fives. And fives. But six is always trash, and that's polystyrene or EPS um, number six, and it's um, the the Dunkin' Donuts um, styrofoam cup that's still used in a few communities. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> It's uh, styrofoam takeout containers and things like that. Styrofoam is a no across. And then there's also red Solo cups that are made with number six plastic, and those are also a no.
1: Way to go, country music fans. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to have to get another vehicle for your beers. But we
5: should say, I think it's fair to say that some things that that are not recyclable through our mechanism, that is at at the Mm MRF, are recyclable, like styrofoam.
4: Well, not food related. Not, p- not food related. But packaging, but
5: packaging styrofoam, which we don't want at the MRF because it's hard for us to sort it. You can. There are places that will. Rec- it's recyclable, mm-hmm. like. Plastic bags, which we'll get to. Right. Yeah. We'll yeah. So if you can bring it somewhere else, yeah. that's okay. But we just don't want don't it leave it mixed by the curb. Recycling. And yeah. don't yeah, don't leave it. Don't send it to
2: us. actually I think that like most supermarkets nowadays that I know of have plastic bag recycling right at the entrance. So all you have to do is like, if you're not using it for like taking your groceries out, like you can recycle them there. Like bring your stash there. My partner is really good at doing that. Yeah, I'm bad. See, yeah, I'm, I we have a plastic bag of plastic right,
1: bags though. <laughs> like almost every home that I know. <laughs> Where's my plastic bag of plastic bags? <laughs> Any other holiday-related okay, questions all... you got before we uh, come back to some uh, marital dispute set, uh, setting? There?
2: Uh, I don't think so. Like those were the big ones. So the packaging yeah. inside the 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 toys, the the containers, the 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 games that are always the question. The outside, I think I knew about the the mixed materials issue, but um, and also like if you have boxes with like the plastic on it, take the plastic off before you put it into the recycling.
1: Is that true? Like what
2: tape or something? No, like sometimes there's like cardboard with like a film, but the film is removable. Hmm. If you put it in there together, do yeah. you need do you need to take the film off because I always do? Hmm. It's like you could it's like the little like plastic window that you can see the toy oh. through.
4: That's okay because that's okay. We could accept uh, paper products like tissue boxes and pasta boxes and envelopes that ah, have the windows. yeah, so that would be okay too. If you're fastidious like I am and you want to rip that out and throw it away. You can do that. Is but that you don't better have to, to do,
1: or it doesn't really matter? It doesn't really matter. Yeah, I want to make my life easier. Yeah. Christmas lights, no. Holiday lights, oh. no. Oh, yeah, yeah,
5: that's thank you what, for that important. That. that's important. That's yes. very important.
1: Okay. Why not?
4: Go ahead, Arlene.
5: Well, first of all, they're they're a tangler, so it's a yeah. long thing. And so pic- picture that at the Murph, the way things are sorted, they're on a conveyor belt, as if you're going to the grocery store and your and your stuff is moving, and anything that's tangles like that can get caught in the conveyor belt, and right? And it you know drops the line down, has uh-huh. to stuff. So it just now, we some places take – some some transfer stations, recycling centers, may accept those Tangler lights, the Christmas lights, because their metal dealer uh, mm-hmm. may take those. Not right. all. You'd have to check with your community. In Franklin County, some do. Yeah, in so the, in the
4: scrap metal dumpster for scrap metal recycling for, you know, stoves and pots and pans, you can put your Christmas – light strings in there or any holiday light strings Valentine's Day yeah. Halloween right just not in the mixed recycling
1: right Yeah. so that's awesome though that you ca- that it doesn't have to be junk there you should ch- inquire with your transfer station yeah because right. yeah. transfer
4: stations accept a lot of different materials and a lot of different streams so it's a good place to explore
1: anything else about the holidays that you want to let us know before we get into settling marital disputes or
4: well what about packing peanuts and that kind of stuff I guess that's not uh well We could mention that pack-and-ship stores accept um, reusable packing supplies like packing peanuts, the air pillows, the bubble wrap, any of that stuff. If it's clean and dry, call your local pack-and-ship store. UPS. yeah, The UPS store is a good one and see if they will accept it for reuse and just keep that material going. And then some of those plastic bag-like materials, like the air pillows and Mm -hmm. the bubble wrap, can go into the plastic film and bag recycling programs in the grocery stores. Oh, another pro tip! But also,
2: I mean, not that you should keep a pile of that in your house, but it's really great for moving and I bet you know somebody who's moving.
1: That's right. Also bubble wrap, therapeutic. Who doesn't like to go through the <laughs> bubble wrap one by one? You know? No. Oh, I love doing that.
2: But.
5: but the big thing about we 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 can't say it enough is when you're sorting your material for the holiday and you're getting ready to bring it or to put it in your blue bin or wherever, do not put it first in a plastic bag, and then in the blue bin. So okay. No, Just, where do the plastic bags go? You know. Plastic
2: bags go to the plastic bag recycling. Exactly, <laughs> and they
5: don't. If they come to the MRF, it's again, it clogs up the conveyor belt.
1: We're speaking with Arlene Miller, the chair of the Springfield Murph, the Smurf, as well as Amy Donovan, who is on the advisory board of the Smurf. And we're going to settle some marital disputes coming up in just a minute.
2: You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. La, 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 sing a happy song.
1: Ooh, I hate smurf! I don't hate Smurfs. It's the Springfield Materials Recycling Facility Advisory Board, the Springfield Murph. And joining us from the Smurfs is Arlene Miller, the chair, and Amy Donovan, who is an advisory board member. Our engineer, Betsy Langto, has never been more excited about having guests on because she has household disputes, as I'm sure many of our listeners do, about what to do when it comes to recycling and what's going to be taken in or not. Tape on recyclable paper. Recyclable or not recyclable? Completely fine. Okay, do you want to do the next one?
2: Uh, plastic basket. We, I actually already we already asked this. We want to move on to the next one. Envelopes with little plastic windows.
1: No totally problem. fine. Do you need to rinse out your milk jug, You're, Arlene? Yeah.
5: <laughs> well, would you like a stale milk in your in your garage? <laughs> it's really more of a. You know, odor thing and a rodent thing than yeah. anything else. So
1: if you and also like the people that work at the MRF, yeah, yeah, actual yeah. people are sorting at the MRF, yes. right? Yeah. Okay, and, take
5: them into consideration. And now, and now we can put put the cap back on the, the milk jug. But yes, rinsing it is just a. It doesn't stop it from being recycled. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean honestly, if you put the cap back on and still leave it with milk in there, it's just going to be. It's going to be Very just worse. as bad. Yeah. yeah, much worse. Yeah. Um, speaking of putting the cap back on things before yes. they go into the recycling. Yes,
4: so about seven or eight years ago, the entire recycling industry made a, a decision across the board. We're going to put cl- plastic caps back on plastic bottles, jars, jugs, and tubs and recycle them as long as they're empty of food and liquid.
1: And is that just so that they don't not get recycled. That's right. It's not like they need to be on there because of some magic that happens at the Murph. They're like, it won't get recycled if the cap
4: isn't on. Right, right. (laughs) So if you don't have the cap or if it got separated, throw away loose caps That can't go back on a bottle for whatever reason, um, because we don't want anything really small, like under like about three Uh inches, because it's too hard to be found by the recycling sorting equipment. So if you put the cap back on, you're ensuring that it will likely, most likely be recycled. There's a
1: happy dance happening there there behind
4: you. Betsy is
1: winning all of her familial uh, disputes (laughs) right now, live on the radio. Do you need to remove label stickers on cans and bottles or recyclable shipping materials like Amazon paper bag mailers? No. No, no, no. Have you been doing that, Betsy? Betsy has been, so she lost that one. Okay. <laughs>
4: uh, yo, it doesn't hurt to remove it. But... Uh, can I can I clarify that? So yeah. Amazon shipping uh, bags or pouches or whatever you call them, if they're plastic, they can go into the plastic bag recycling programs at the grocery stores. Ah, uh-huh. wow. okay, cool. good. Um, and we used to say cut the label out, but now they're being more. They've they've. Figure that out so you don't have to cut the label out of those plastic shipping envelopes. But they're all accepted at the plastic bag recycling programs Mm -hmm. in the stores.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, Thermal paper like you find for receipts.
1: No. Do not recycle. Do not. Garbage. 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 Pizza boxes has historically been <gasps> controversial. <gasps> Where are we at with pizza boxes, Arlene? Who's pizza saying? Woo! they are
2: a yes.
1: <laughs> well, pizza boxes are a yes. Well, I th- asked Arlene. Yes, I d- know the answer.
5: During during COVID, so many people were buying uh, pizza, staying home and eating eating a lot of pizza, and the, mar- the markets were just they needed they needed cardboard, they needed paper, and so they got very a little bit more flexible with the the pizza thing, as long as it's empty. It can be recycled. And, again, try to get empty. the
1: food waste out of it as best as possible.
4: Yeah. Just use a little knife and just scrape it along the surface to get the stuck on cheese. The grease is okay. Make sure it's empty. Put it in your recycling. You're good.
1: This has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you. Can we come and do a tour of the Murph?
4: Well, yes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And also you have a Before shameless plug for an insert. When it's, yeah, this so is a p- this, newspaper
1: insert if you still get those.
4: Th- this is actually not in until Earth Day, but every Earth Day we do a big newspaper ins- insert. Betsy, I brought you a copy. Oh, yes. <laughs> and um, we now have three different versions. We have the northern, the southern, and the western version of the Reduce Reuse Recycle Guide. And you can find all of them on our website, which is springfieldmrf.org. And we're also on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. Wicked cool.
1: Amy (laughs) Donovan, who's an advisory board member for the SMURF, the Springfield Materials Recycling Facility Advisory Board, and Arlene Miller, the chair. Thank you both so much.
5: Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, man.
1: Well, tomorrow on the show, we're going to have the... Commissioner of MDAR, the Mass Department of Agricultural Resources, to talk about the governor's $20 million for our farmers and lots more, too. We're going to eat pie. Yeah, we're going to eat pie. I'm Monty Belmonte. And
2: I'm Khalees Smith. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.